Nancy, you said it really well. And what I want to define my life by, and what I pray that we'll define our life by, is that sentiment that the early fathers, the leaders of Israel, testified to, to say, God, if you move from this place, I'm not staying. But if you stay here, I'm not going. My desire is to be wherever the Spirit of God rests. And it rests in you and me this morning. So know as we sit here, as we gather around with people from all over the globe, the Spirit rests upon and within each of you. I was 14 years old, and my brother had just gotten a new car. It was a little Mazda, silver, and the thing that I love best with it is it had a manual transmission. I was mesmerized because I'd only seen them like on TV and in race cars. And so what I'd do when nobody was looking, I would get in the car, and I'd run through the gears like I was racing with the car off. I'd even make the little sound, you know, Right, seeing the speedometer go up, go up, and almost get so far to the right that it couldn't go any farther, that it's clicking. And then I was like, oh, I think I can do some more. How do you start this thing? <laughs> so I learned to put the clutch in, put my foot on the brake, turn it over, keep it in neutral, pull out the crutch, and just let it rev. Mm. And then there's another. The next step. I wonder what it would be like to go back and forth just a little bit. <laughs> I'm going to give it a go. Just idle back and forth. And I got pretty good at it. I was like, what would it look like to actually get it out of the driveway? But before I did that, I had to mark to make sure I knew exactly where to put the car back. <laughs> so I felt really good. Put my hand around like as a veteran. Look behind me. Begin to let the clutch back. And then I felt it. The car wasn't going in reverse, it was in first. And it lurched, because I freaked out, I didn't know what to do, and it lurched forward into the garage, but the garage door was closed. The hood had met the garage, and my eyes looked closer to the garage than I've ever looked before, and I panicked. Leaving the keys in the car, the it, it in gear in first, I fled behind our house to the sewer drains and the storm drains that live behind our house, and I hid. <laughs> Eventually, my mom found me, and I knew she was getting close, because you know when your mom's calling out for you, and it's closer and closer and louder and louder, but you can also hear the tone. She's saying, Austin, where are you? Austin, come back. And then when she turned the corner, I saw her, and she saw me. She came and sat down to next to me. And already knowing what had happened, she says, baby boy, what happened? She wanted to hear from me what was going on in my head and my heart. And I told her. I told her what happened, what I had been doing. I confessed it all. I laid it all out there. And then I told her that I had decided that I would depart from this family. I would live in the sewers or somewhere else because I was convinced that my parents or my brother would not forgive me for the damage that I had done. Anybody been there? And this is where we get in the text this morning in Genesis 3. The moment of the beginning of the story where all things fall apart. 
that in Genesis chapter 3, Adam and Eve messed the whole thing all up. The messes of all messes happen. And God, what he does next, should grab your attention, should define how we relate to him moving forward in the midst of all of our messes. The thing that we're going to talk about this morning is this big idea called God closes the gap. He closes the gap between himself and his creation, between himself and his beloved. So let us read together. If you have your Bible in front of you, brought it, or because the power's out, a digital one that'll be a little brighter is perfect right now. But let us look to God's word together in Genesis chapter 3, verses 8 through 13. Toward evening when the Lord God was walking in the garden, they heard and they hid themselves. The Lord called to Abraham, or sorry, to Adam, said, where are you? Adam replied, I heard you, so I hid. I was afraid because I was naked. Who told you that you were naked? The Lord God asked. Have you eaten from the fruit I commanded you not to eat? Yes. But it was the woman you gave me who brought me the fruit and I ate it. And then the Lord asked, he asked the woman, how could you do such a thing? The serpent tricked me, she replied, and that's why I ate it. I've heard this sermon before. I've read this text many times. Maybe you have too. And often it talks about what is the consequences of sin. That the sin that is entered into the world now leads to death, leads to the separation between you and I and God. And while that is true, as I sat with it this week, and sat and reflected on a God who introduces himself intimately to his creation, to his beloved, to his masterpiece, he calls them, I see a God who begins to write the story of a compassionate heart that is compelled to move towards people in the midst of their sin and their broken, the gap, the chasm that is created by our decision to trust ourselves over trusting God, to act for our own pleasure over the pleasure of honoring and serving God. The fact is that God is one who is moved by compassion to close the gap by moving first. Do you see that? that? While Adam and Eve, their inclination when this gap is created, when they do what is wrong and they know it, they go and hide. And in the midst of their hiding, God moves first and moves towards them. That while my initial reaction when I put the car in the garage was to run and hide in sewers in darkness and cover, my mom came looking for me. She moved first in order that I might be found. Right? While they were still hiding, when God was close enough to know what they were behind, he beckoned them into face-to-face interaction with him because his heart longed to see, to be close, to be near. The same thing my mom did. When she got closer to the drain, the grossness that existed within that storm drain, storm drain wasn't inhibiting her from moving towards me. The sin that you and I create that is, in God's eyes, a a, a gap that he 
he can't, he doesn't like, he looks away from, is not an inhibiting factor for him to move towards you. We have a God that moves first. That when we sin, when we create this gap by our actions, God doesn't wait. He moves. My mother didn't wait for me to come home. She's went out and sought to find me. Do you see? Do you know? Do you reflect? Does your, does your image of who God is is one that sits there and waits for you to come out of hiding, to hang your head, to tell you all that you've done? Or do you see a God in his word that says, I'm not waiting for you. I'm coming to you. He is a God that moves first. But also when he gets close, he doesn't just want that face-to-face because you know that when we've hurt somebody, it's not the fact that we just get in the same spot, place, and space together, but we know that there's this tension relationally between us and others, between us and God. And God, in his first moment, in his first words, as he's closed the gap, he asks questions. Like my mom sitting next to me. It was a simple phrase. Two words, not accusations, questions. What happened? God has already seen what I did. My mom obviously got home, saw a car in the garage, knew what happened, knew that I wasn't in the house, and then began to look for a son that she knew really well. That she knew that this might be a place that he was hiding And that once she gets there, she sits in the midst of my darkness and asks to hear my heart. Your God already knows what you've done. God already knows what Adam and Eve has done. And finally, when they get the courage to to come out of hiding, God asks questions. And what are those questions that he asked? Why are you hiding? What is causing you to be in fear of me? Who told you that you were naked? Who told you that there was this thing called shame? Did you eat from the fruit which I told you not to? And then the last question that I hear, and I hope you hear not as an accusation, but one that moves from a heart of love from the Father. Why would you do such a thing? See, behind the actions that I did, the the actions behind Adam and Eve were hearts that were moved, that had made decisions that need to be revealed because God already knows them, but he wants us to say them so that we will say the words out loud, so that we will hear them, so that our hearts will be laid out there with open hands to God and say, this is what I did, this is why I did it. Because he wants us to tell us Not that he doesn't already know, because he wants to know what is the barrier, what is the gap between that you would believe that you have no space and no place within the family of God, that I have no space or place within having the love of my family, of my brothers, and acceptance, that I must separate myself. What is going on there? Tell me more about that, so that I can convince you that what you're listening to is not true. That I care more about your heart and what's going on there than just making sure you don't do it again. He wants our hearts. He wants us to know his heart. He wants us to know his love. And he does that by not throwing accusations at us. 
or saying you should have just walked away and should have stayed far away from the tree. You should have done that. You should have done this. He comes in close and he says, baby boy, baby girl, what happened? Why are you afraid of me? He wants to know what is in your heart that separates us on the love that we feel from him. It's the beautiful picture of a God who compassionately loves us so much that he's willing to span the gap. And not only when we get in the same space with him, but he is wanting to hear our hearts. To refine, to retool, to tell the truth, to say, why would you ever believe such a lie? So if God's first movement, if God's first movement is out of compassion, what do you do? What do you do with it? I say this, like we come together, we gather to center ourselves on God's word, but we must walk away different. When we encounter God and we encounter Jesus, everything that it says is people walked away different. So what do you do when you go out of this room, when you get in your cars and you go back into the places and spaces of which you exist, what do you do? I believe we pattern ourselves after a God who moved first. And if he moved first, we need to move first. We need to move first. Now, I'm going to confess, I've been sitting in this this week, and, and God has been really working on me in this. And I must say that um, as a dad, as a husband, as a friend, as a coworker, as a neighbor, I'm urging us to move first, but I will confess I'm the first one that has hid first. I have caused hurt and pain, and instead of moving first to begin to look and follow God and follow the way of love, I've often hid from the pain, from the hurt that I've created or that created in me. I am the one who moves like Adam and Eve and falling into the pattern and creating separation. That's me. But I'm convinced that I want to be more like Jesus, I want to be more like God, and I want to be a different dad. I want to be a different husband. I want to be a different friend. I want to be a different neighbor. I want to be a different coworker and pastor. I want to be a different body person in this body of Christ that instead of moves away when there's tension and division, but one that moves first. I want to pattern ourselves after God because I believe that is the best way for me to live. Not that I get an award. Not that I get uh, acclamation for being, oh man, this guy is amazing. We should all pound ourselves. No, I want to look to a God that instituted a compassionate heart that moved first. So where in your life? I feel like the Holy Spirit is in this place. And I know that if you've been talking, then you might be thinking and you might be communing with the Holy Spirit. And so my question is to you, who's that person? Who's that group? Who do you need to close the gap with? Who do you need to move first? Who do you need to ask the question, what is going on in your heart? Is it a friend? Is it a son and daughter that's sitting in the room? Is it a a neighbor you just left that you're glad to get away from? Is it a coworker that you're not looking forward to going in and sitting next to tomorrow? Who is it that God's calling? If we are followers of the way, if we're followers of Jesus, that our reputation, our actions should not just be an idea, but should be an indwelling of reality in places that we should be incarnational in our following of Jesus and following of God. That it's not just an idea, that the idea of moving first happened 
as God walked amongst his children, as Jesus walked amongst us in human form, that it wasn't just an idea. This is not just an idea. This is a lived incarnational reality of the followers of Jesus. In every space that we take, we move towards people. It's hard. Because it might be looking and saying, hey, I'm sorry. 20 years ago, I hurt you, and I know you're holding on to it. And I finally had the guts after 20 years to move towards you and say, I'm sorry. And maybe it's like me. That I have to move towards my kid and say, Daddy didn't react the right way. Daddy demanded you to come into his presence to fix your behavior so that you will be a good girl or boy. God moves first. And even say, let me, let me just say this. What does it look like here in this community? That God says, he will, the world will know that we're his followers by how we love one another. Does our love in this community move us towards each other when we're hurting, or does it move us away to hide? Do we live in our first inclination and our first thought to move away from each other or to move towards each other? That when people look at followers of the way of Jesus, they say, oh, they're not perfect. Trust me, they hurt people. I've been hurt by them. But you know what is amazing about them? You know what blows me away about them? What makes me always keep coming back to them? They say, I'm sorry. They're the ones that move first, if I've hurt them, and say, I forgive you before I even say, I'm sorry. This is the way of Jesus. And I know when we talk about what does it look like, the idea of something, versus the reality, the incarnation of it, how do we practically do this? It's a great idea, but there's, a, there's a many ways that you could do that. You know what the great thing is? It's not just what I'm interpreting God's word to be. He says it. He says it in, in chapter 3, a little bit later, after he tells them all the consequences of their sin. Right? When we tell the parents all the consequences of their sin and the, the punishments that they're going to have and maybe the consequences, all of a sudden what happens at the end? And what happens at the beginning of what God does and what happens at the end in this is really important. First words and last words are incredibly important. He says this. Genesis chapter 3, verse 21. Small. It gets missed a lot. And this is exactly what it looks like. This is how you know what to do when you leave here. And the Lord God made clothing from animal skins for Adam and his wife. Do you know how radical that is? The God who stood before nothingness and spoke it into existence sits with his creation who has chosen to walk away from him and at the end, instead of just letting them go their way as they're supposed to, he does one last thing. He takes and uses the resources around him to begin the healing process of the shame of which they are holding on to. That Jesus uses the animal that he has created, doesn't snap his fingers, takes the time to remove the skin in order to create clothing in order to put it on Adam and Eve so that when they go from his presence, they don't continue to carry the shame from which they feel. 
There's one thing to say, I'm sorry, or I forgive you, and one thing to say, I'm sorry and forgive you, and when that person leaves or when you leave, the shame that was existing there stays there. Adam and Eve sit there in that moment and are clothed by God. The thing that they said, I was shamed, I felt shame and I was ashamed because I was naked. And he goes, then you will leave from this place with no more shame. It means that the radical way of Jesus means we might have to use the resources around us in order to care for others. That as we close the gap, as we move towards them, as we hear their heart, and we say, I'm sorry and I forgive you, what we do then is have to use the resource around us to read the, sa- the shame that exists in that space and place between us. It might mean that you have to spend extra time with them. When it's uncomfortable, you lean in and instead of lean out. It means you might have to use your money and your possessions in order to fix what has happened. Like when my mom, when I put the car through, the consequences is, is a broken relationship between my brother and I and my mom and my dad and I, and I begin to heal this. But instead of demanding as a 14-year-old that I go get a job and save up money in order to pay for that, she used her resources and her time to fix what I had broken. How many of us in that place that we say, I'm sorry, or I forgive you, and we walk away and that shame still exists because we haven't cared like God has cared for us, that the way Jesus cared for us, that we use the resources around him. God used the resources, the animals, in order to rid his beloved, his masterpiece of the shame. What are you using to rid the people of the shame? Maybe it's walk, like Jesus says, don't just walk a mile in their shoes, walk an extra mile. That cloak that they maybe took from you instead of you giving, you allow them to keep it instead of demand it back or to buy a new one. The goodness of God is Jesus is found in that incarnational, not just I forgive you and I'm sorry, but it's the care and the shame that is released, that is broken, the chains are fallen off so that we might walk away without shame into a new relationship, restored and renewed and reconciled with a God who compassionately loves you. Because Jesus and the idea of love didn't stay an idea. God didn't wait for you to be like, okay, finally I'll move towards you. Jesus says, I'm done waiting. I'm coming here now. Fully God going to be found in the human form, and I am going to live the embodiment of love amidst and amongst the people who I love. And he used the resources around him, which to show that he cared. He used uh, the dirt He used bread, fish. He used the thing. He used his very spit of his mouth to make a blind man see. He wrenched in tears as his beloved friend was dead. And he rose him to life from the power and the dwelling of the Holy Spirit within him for the sake of one another. And then Jesus saying, the gap is still not. They still don't understand. They still aren't caring. And so I will do what the epitome of love is. That the epitome is love that, I, that one would lay their life down for a friend. Not an idea. That Jesus physically walked himself to a cross. Put himself and laid himself down. Allowed himself to be pulled up. Not because he wanted to. 
because he was moved by love and compassion and care that his father exhibited in the midst of the beginning of creation. He died. He laid down his life for you so that the shame that you feel and the disconnect will be no longer because it says, and I love this, that he washed us white as snow. Jesus paid it all. And he washed it white snow so that we walk away and don't see ourselves in the shame and the sin, but Jesus has new, renewed, and the masterpiece that he created, my beloved, I will be with no one else but you. I wonder what it would look like if we walked out and acted like Jesus here across the world that said, I don't get these Christians, but I really like them. Because they move first. Before I deserved it and earned it, they moved first. What would our marriages like? What would our families be like if we moved first and cared in practical ways for the people around? What would our neighbors think if we bought a new lawnmower and theirs broke and they wanted to borrow ours and they broke it, we fixed it and then bought them another one as well? What would it look like? It says we hate each other but you want to come eat dinner at my table? This, this is what it means to love first. From the beginning of time, when all things fell apart, God moved first. You need to understand that there's nothing that will keep you from him. Utterly nothing. I don't care what it is. Name it right now in your life. What do you think keeps him? And then think of Adam and Eve and the mess they created. God moved first. He loved first. He cared for you and I. Let's pray. One of the most beautiful things that Jesus, you put flesh on so that we might see with our own eyes, that we might hear with our own eyes, with our own ears, what love looks and sounds like. Not so that we will store it up for ourselves, but it's something so radical that we will share. We will give up everything in pursuit of it so that others also might be in pursuit of it. Jesus, you said, seek and you will find. And knock and the door will be open to you. God, may we be people that seek you. Learn to do this in our own life. To come out of hiding. To love. May it be said of us that we don't just like Jesus. We love like Jesus. God, I pray for whatever might be in and amongst this congregation, both here in person and maybe online that feel like there's a distance between. I I pray that they would name it right now.
And I pray that they would know that they have a God who would sit in the midst of the darkness and the sewers that is our life. So that we might not be alone. God, come, let this not just be an idea, but something that radically changes who we are. We ask this in your name. Amen.